The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. Coming to life, new year, new change, new things happening. And it's, it's pretty great because what better way to start the new year than getting married? Like, as Isaac is living it up right now. Like, he hasn't made. I mean, getting married is like real goals. Uh, <laughs> rather than, like, stop eating Taco Bell every night or go to bed by 10. Those are my goals. And so, but to be honest, um, yeah, so uh, I am getting married. And so that is a goal of mine, um, getting married and actually doing that well and starting out that right for the first year. So that would be fun. And, um, yeah, getting married in about 52 days. Um, pray for me. So, <laughs> we, you know, when you're getting married and you have, there's a lot of things on your mind. It's like you have to pay for the venue. You got to pay for the decorations, the flowers, the outfits, the what? The what? A child's wedding, so very long-term, <laughs> very, very long-term planning. So you're having to think of all these things. Um, but honestly, um, the only thing I can think about is how much muscle can I build in two months? I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm waiting for my abs to sprout. And, and my muscles to sprout. <laughs> and so, um, but it's funny because in our lives, um, kind of things like that can kind of come to the surface of this is what I want and this is what I imagine to be. And a lot of the new year, when you go into you kind of have expectations, right? You know, new year, new you. And... He had this idea of who you want to be. You want to be thinner, or you want to be more muscular, or you want to go on a paleo diet and get a Fitbit and start running and get a gym membership, you know. Power to you, you know. <laughs> and, and so this is the idea that we have, uh, and it kind of goes along the thread of thought of our culture, kind of, you know, um, you aren't strong enough. I don't know if you've looked recently, you know, or, or you don't have it made. You don't have the things you want. You're not the person you want to be. And so it, the world says, hey, why don't you get my gym membership? We have a sale starting in January. Or why don't you get Amazon Prime two-day shipping, you know? Or why don't you um, start jogging and doing these different things? Why don't you improve yourself because you haven't made? And in the same way, we can kind of translate that over into our church and into our Christian life and say, hey, I know you think you're a Christian, but you don't have it made yet. You know, why go to this church when you can go to this church, this other church? Or why listen to this preacher when you can listen to this better preacher? Or why not, what, you need to worship louder, you know? I haven't seen you at the altar crying in your face in weeks, you know? Or you don't speak in tongues enough. Or I haven't, heard, I haven't seen you heal someone. And the honest truth is that a lot of people our age, I say our age because I'm only like a few years older than you, is that we live... With kind of a spiritual insecurity, 
Can anyone like relate with me on that? There's a real spiritual insecurity we have and we burden ourselves with that kind of uh, impedes or inhibits our ability to embrace new life. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, does anyone have their Bibles? I'm going to be reading out of Colossians. Um, the whole book is solid. It's about new life in Christ. Um, if you read it, you'll get learned. And Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. And it's really interesting because Paul hasn't actually met these guys yet. Uh, that's what we think, at least. And so it's, if I haven't met you yet, then this, I'm in line with Paul. Like, it's totally cool to listen to me. And, uh, but Paul hasn't necessarily met them yet, but he's indirectly related to them through a guy named Epaphras and the Ephesian church who planted the Colossian church. And so Epaphras is going back um, to Rome to kind of tell Paul what's up. He's saying that, that the Colossian people, you know, they're doing great. You know, they're like the Evangel Temple. Like, they're growing, they're strong, they're faithful, Right? Yeah. Like very, uh, all about Jesus, all about the community. Um, God is blessing them. And, and then he says, but there's also these false, these philosophies, these teachings that are brewing in the area. Um, and some would say it's like a early form of Gnosticism, a kind of, ooh, I'm better and have more knowledge than you. And but it's more of a, the, the Greek world is really like the U.S. And much of our world is like a conglomerate of religious and philosophical views. You have the Jewish and then you have the Greeks and the Romans and the Oriental people and the mystery religions. Uh, all kind of infiltrating the church. And I'm going to read just a few quick uh, parts that Paul says later. He says, um, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath like the Jews are telling Greek Christians, hey, you're, you haven't really made it yet. You haven't been circumcised yet. You aren't practicing our practices or our traditions or our Sabbaths or new moons. And then he goes on and says, and other people are insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his own sensuous mind. And he goes on in verse 20 of chapter 2, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, the tangible things, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teaching? And so he says, let no one deceive you or delude you with these plausible arguments, these, these things that you can reason with, sure, Maybe you aren't as cool as the other Christian down the street, you know. But he says, don't let them convince you in thinking that you don't have this new life in Christ just because you aren't practicing the same things Jewish Christians are, Greek Christians are, Central Assembly Christians are. That's where I go to church. And so, um, so he, uh, he says in the, I'm going to be reading out of verse 6. Through 15. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I think he has the passage too. I'm going to read this first verse for you. Um, actually, let's not do that. Let's pray. Let's seek God in this moment for wisdom. Lord, uh, 
Man, we, we walk into your word with open hearts, God. Lord, I pray that we, we, may, th- we may think that we got it going on, that we know what we're doing, that, we, that we're the greatest Christian or we're, maybe we're not. But I pray, Lord, that our, your word today would humble us, God. That it would uh, tear right into our soul, into our hearts, and discern the intentions of our hearts, God. Lord God, that it would bring us life and that it would make us new. Lord, we love you and we praise you, God. Pray your spirit will be with us as we seek you. In your name, amen. All right, back to the scripture. Okay, verse 6. If you can read on the, I don't even call that the screen. Um, it says, therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And going back to the built up in him and established in the faith, I, the, the Greek has a little bit of a better way of putting it. It's more of a continuing action. It's continuing to be built up and to be, continue to be established and made firm in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. This is part of you. This is part of your life. And and Paul is making a point that there is an undeniable relationship between what we believe you have accepted Christ, what you do, and I would propose also who you are. So, for instance, um, some of you probably know that I'm a photographer. You probably noticed that because I had a camera around here taking photos of people. And I'm pretty sure I could hear like screams of insecurity as I was pointing the camera at some of you guys. <laughs> I'm joking. But the truth is, it's just as awkward for me as it is for you. So <laughs> that's like, I don't like looking at my camera and seeing death stares. And so <laughs> it's just how it is. Um, but as a photographer, I, the reason I take photos is because I love the power of the image. I love uh, capturing memories. I love capturing life. And I, I see my world a little bit through that lens. You know what I mean? I see things in a photographer's mindset, right? And so, obviously, I practice. I hone in my skill. I, I, I shoot all the time. And if you were to see me shooting, you probably wouldn't say, hmm, he looks like a preacher. You probably say that guy looks like a photographer. There is a relationship between what you believe or what you've accepted or received and what you do. And these things make you really, or you find your identity in these things or makes you who you are, right? Which is why the Apostle John would say that if you say you know him, but you do not do what he says, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. It's really dark, but that's the, explaining this relationship we have. And this is important because the adversary of your faith is going to either target or help or cause you to doubt what you believe or what you do. And if he can do that, he'll be able to steal who you are. This is why the next verses in this letter says, see to it. That no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. The word used here for like this captive is this idea of like a kidnapping or an idea of a plundering. 
So you think about like someone coming to your house at night, if you're a parent, coming in and stealing your kids, or coming in and stealing your valuables, your computer, your money, my PS4, you know, whatever it is, like gasp, like, dear Lord, <laughs> why have you forsaken me? So, but, but as if someone's coming into your home at night, taking what is valuable to you, right? And what Paul is saying, lock your doors because you have something very valuable. That is your life in Christ. And the enemy wants to steal that. It wants you to doubt that. And so he's going to come after you like a thief in the night and steal what belongs to you or was given to you. And it's really interesting because he's talking, he kind of makes a comparison. He kind of says, of human tradition, not according to Christ. That is to say, not every form of reasoning is non-Christian. Like he's saying, weigh the scales here, okay? There is what the world may say, and there's what Christ has done. And then put that on the scales, Because this is what he says next. He says, for in him, what he says next is he says, for in him, the the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. So the fullness of God dwells in a man, right? The creator of the universe who has given life to everyone dwells in this man and you have been filled in him. You have been made in part with him. You have been united with Christ. You now have connection with God through him. Does that make sense? And it says, who is the head of all rule and authority, who is above it all, who is a greater than anything, this world or any ruler or any government or any influencer or teacher whoever, he's above it all. And furthermore, uh, it's more than just you've been filled, but you've been made part of him. It is later on in chapter 3, he doesn't just say, oh, Jesus and you. He says, Jesus, who is your life? He is your life. And I think that's the difference. And that makes the difference. Because, actually, I want to read one more verse before I go on to that to kind of bring this even closer. So in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's for in Christ that we live and move. It's in him we find our being. It is in him alone, right? And so, I think the miracle of the cross is is not that just we live, but it's Christ living in us. And it's kind of hard to distinguish what that means, but this is an argument against the idea that you can just be more, and that just means you've made it. That you can become more than yourself. You can have all knowledge and all understanding is what the Greeks are saying. Or, or you, can, you can be more than just that Greek Christian, but you can, you can be circumcised and you can do these different things, become even greater of a Christian. And what I think the, the, the difference that's being made is that Christ is essentially kind of putting that to rest, that 
It doesn't matter, um, or rather if I say it like this, like your new life in Christ is more than just becoming more than who you are, but it's finding who you are in him. You know, this is a challenge, especially in Bible college, um, and, and, and some of us have felt that. But it's, it, a lot of it deals with knowledge, it seems, and spirituality. And so I can say I, I know Greek, Hebrew, and I speak in tongues. You know, get on my level, guys. <laughs> you know, I, I hang out with the homeless, I preach on weekends, and I teach a Sunday school class. Pretty tight. I raised a kid to life last year. What did you do? You know, I, I didn't do that. But, but this is the kind of imagination we have, or even in Pentecostal circles. It feels like if you've healed someone or prophesied, you've made it in life. You know what I mean? This, this kind of, you need more than Christ to have made it as a Christian. But I don't want to neglect this fact that being or having new life in Christ is more than just becoming a greater you or being a greater spiritual guru or being the absolute best Christian. It is finding who you are in him. That when you have accepted him and you've begun to walk in him, that you not only just believe and walk in him, but that you identify solely with Christ. The next verse reads, um, in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having, him, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You have been separated. You have been made holy. But this is really fascinating because he says without human hands. Humanity has its limits. That I can change myself. I can get status. I can make my name known. I can change my body type. You know, I can change uh, my style. I can change um, so many things. And this is the way the culture thinks is that you got to change yourself to get better. you got to change your stuff to become greater, right? And so um, humanity has its limits, but as much as you want to change yourself, the only one who can make you holy and give you life is Jesus. This is what Paul is saying, that you can search in so many places to find yourself, but you'll never find it. He's saying the only way you're going to find who you've been truly made to be is when you come to Christ and when you identify with him. He goes on and he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision in your flesh, you are already lowly. You're already as low as it can get. And he says, But God made alive together with him. That God alone made you alive, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with this legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's very simple. He's saying Jesus overcame it all. 
More so, he has put the world, he has put the government of the world, he has put the philosophical world to shame. Which is really ironic because Christ's death was probably the most shameful thing. But the reverse action takes place through his power in shamefulness. He has made shameful the whole world and made them recognize this is where truth is. This is where life is. This is where all authority is given. And the message of the world is always going to be, it's always going to offer you a better life. It's always going to offer you a better job or a better girl or boy or a better uh, friend. Or it's going to offer you a better church or a better philosophy or a better way of living. But no one, like I said, no one can offer you life. It can offer you change, but it cannot offer you life. New life in Christ is not just about becoming more than who you are. It's about finding who you are in him. Which is why overcoming spiritual insecurity begins when we start taking our eyes off ourselves and begin directing it toward the cross. Because at the cross that you find yourself lowly at its lowest point, and yet Christ died for you. Before you had abs, before you had money, before you had status, before you had praise and affection as a great Christian, before you had anything, when you were at your lowest point, whatever that may be, Christ died for you and gave you life. Which is why when I go back to it, and I read that first verse, everything changes. Because he's saying, if you've received this man who has died for you, don't seek what these things are trying to change in you. Rather, be rooted in him. Be built up in him. Put your focus on Christ and be established in faith, abounding in thanksgiving, Can I have the worship team come back up? You can stand with me and close your eyes, if you will. Some of you here today, you know, you've been um, through a lot, and I don't know what that is. And maybe you've felt insecure in your own salvation or your own new life, and you've you've sought out Influence, and you've sought out uh, status, and you've sought out praise and affection, or even self-help books, or whatever it is, and you still find yourself lonely. Or you still find yourself steeped in sin. And you don't understand, why don't I have enough yet? I thought if I went to this church, or if I thought I made friends with these people, I, everything would change. But nothing's changed in your heart. And you're still just as lonely as you ever were. Can I tell you that Christ is enough for you? And some of you just need to hear that today, that Christ is enough to give you life. That this is all great, and these things are awesome, but if you don't come to the point where you come to the cross and accept him, and allow him to change you, to him to make you whole, Some of you guys need to come to that point today 
And we're also going to open this altar and allow you to do that. Allow you to come fresh before him and allow him to change you. And some of you, you're awesome. And you can admit it. Like you're doing just fine. You don't have any problem with sin. You're not having any problem with doubts. You're not having any problem. But what Paul is doing in the book of Colossians is that he's, he's working preemptively. He's saying, I know you feel like you're good, but you got to understand there's an adversary coming for you. That he's going to put up roadblocks. That he's going to tear down your life. He's going to attack your family and your friends and make you doubt everything you believed. And then once he's done that, because your faith wasn't firm and wasn't planted in him, he will easily steal that life that you were given. Take measure. Come before the Lord. Establish yourself so that you will be able to stand firm. That you understand what's valuable in life. That friends are great. That money is great. That this popularity is great. But there's nothing more important than Christ. And for some of you, you know, it's totally different. It's, it's I've had everything's taken from me, right? You know, it's, it's I don't even believe in this guy anymore because this has overtaken my life, and I understand that. I want to open this altar up for just a response because um, Jesus is here. Can you believe that? That Jesus is here, that his spirit is here, and that he is waiting patiently to give you life. And he wants you to live new and fresh and with joy, abounding in thanksgiving. He wants the best for you. That boy, that girl, that whatever, that friend who thinks they want the best for you. I want to tell you today that Jesus has what's best for you. He has life. Can you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you, God. Because even in our own shame, in our own loneliness, in the problems of our life, Lord, that you came in the form of a man. And you gave yourself up for us. That you've nailed all our sin and all our problem and all that stood against us to the cross so that we can have life, God. Lord, I pray that if there's any any fear of coming to you, that if there's any doubt or if there's anything that in their thought that is stopping them from coming to you, God, I pray that you would speak to them personally right now, God, that, that, that they would know that you love them, that you value them, that you cherish who they are, and that you want to give them life and freedom, and joy. Lord God, I pray that we'll never forsake the great gift that you've given us. Lord, I pray for anyone who's struggling. I pray for anyone who needs you today, God, that you would begin to press their hearts, that you would begin to sprout newness in their life, Father. Lord, that they can leave this church, they can go to their homes, they can go to their friends, but the whole world would be new to them that everything would be new, that they would have peace in their hearts, that they would be reconciled with you, that they would have, have joy and fulfillment in you, God, and that they can leave, 
Lord, with life walking with you, God. I pray for them today, God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In your holy name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon.